Welcome to the Truth of the Matters podcast. I am your host, Jonathan, and this is episode 138. Let's begin by recognizing and appreciating all of our new and consistent listeners. We thank you all in advance for continuing to press play at your own convenience. So thank you for tuning in. I pray that this podcast, regardless of the episode, will become a blessing to you. So, first and foremost, I want to apologize to my audience. This episode definitely is supposed to come out by Monday, as every episode is supposed to come out by Monday, or even earlier. However, last week, got sick. It all started with me doing a delivery on a Friday last week. Had me carrying six cases of 24-pack spring, Poland spring waters, and customer never showed i had to carry these up a mountain where it was pouring raining i ended up getting sick there because i started this to develop this cough which was horrendous and annoying and it carried over until sunday into monday and i lost my voice and i'm just like this sucks because i've been committed to recording every single week no excuses so this week is a bit delayed i apologize if you hear a cough every now and then it's the result of the fact that i am much better but this cough still seems to be around no it's not covid it seems to be that i had a chest cold some some mucus thing going on that's prevented me but i am making it up today because i believe i have a good episode coming out it was a great preparation i did a lot of studying it this is also something that i firmly and personally believe so i hope that what i share today will be a blessing to you of course during this period and time of the journey there were some things that i've learned but i will save some of those things to share and the i want to say the bible study reflection will be the time that i will will share it so i want to get started so thank you for your patience i appreciate everyone that is tuning in today and i appreciate everyone for being patient now as i reflected over you know the week the lord blessed me in three ways the first way occurred after midnight i was on the clock the location was cvs the day was thursday night until friday morning I was checking out with an item for a customer and there was an old couple who also checked out. (coughs) This older couple left before me and I heard change come out of the machine, which meant that they left it in the machine. So I finished checking out quickly, went to their machine, took the change out, left in a hurry to the parking lot to find the couple. I saw the vehicle, walked up to it, knocked on the passenger window to let them know that they left their change in the machine. Let me tell you something. The look on the husband's face was disgusting. His facial reaction indicated that he just didn't find me being there pleasant, right? kind of indicated with this expression of how dare you 
tell me or tell us we left change in the machine. Instead of being kind and appreciative, he sort of rolled his eyes at me. Probably thought I was going to beg for money, right? The wife, on the other hand, rolls down the window. I tell her what I have for them. I put the change in her hand, and she says, thank you. Now, there could be several reasons for the lack of respect I received in this encounter. One, it was past midnight, right? Two, coming up to anyone's car late could be threatening, and I understand that, right? There's no ifs and or buts when it comes to that. There's no ifs and or buts when it comes to that. The husband, the third option that I came to was the husband just wasn't interested with the idea of engaging in any dialogue with a stranger. <coughs> These were the potential reasons I came to that might explain the behavior of the husband. An additional thought that came to me was a lack of recognition as it pertains to the value of money. The truth of the matter is, every cent does count. If you took all the change you have and stored it in a jar over a period of time, it will most definitely add up to something valuable that can be used for something meaningful. In fact, I'm not just speculating on this. I'm testifying that I've always done this, right? I started throwing in tons and tons of change in a jar in the last three to five years. One of them led up to $155. Another one led up to $205. And because of this, it's become a lifesaver as it pertains to allow me to accomplish things from a source of money that I didn't anticipate would be a source. Now, I know what many of you might be thinking. How is this a blessing referring to my encounter with the old Now, before I explain that, as a side note, I hope that you see the importance of money, even if it's just change. Now, how was this encounter a blessing? Well, I was reminded that everyone is not friendly. Everyone is not going to treat you as they would want to be treated. People are going through things, and they will use moments like this in their own circumstances to lash out at you. Therefore... I implore you and I encourage you to be vigilant and aware of the different responses you're going to get when you are assisting and helping other people who don't recognize your kindness and generosity. Don't just assume people owe you decency. From a Christian perspective, those who are part of the body, I believe they do. But those who are not saved, and are of the world from a worldly perspective they don't owe you anything remember we are living in a lost evil and dark world where people are in need of Jesus don't expect anything more expect less from people I've also expanded on this when we start talking about the idea of being a good person and I believe there are good actions, but there are no good people. Okay? There are good 
actions from people, but to classify them in the category of good is just not true. It's falsified. And I think people get that mixed up and misconstrued that because I do a lot of good actions, I'm a good person. But of course, Jesus set the record straight when he said no one is good. Only our father in heaven is good. When reflecting on this, I realized it's the heart of the matter, right? The new heart that God gave us enables us to look at things with a different lens, right? Having a Christ-centered focus and intent will help lead and leave in most instances with a positive outlook on the encounters that you have with people. Remember this, God does not remove what is bad in the world. Instead, he takes the good out of what is bad. By design and intention, God allows the bad to remain and exist because it doesn't bother him. And therefore, as followers and representatives of Christ, it shouldn't bother us either. Because in spite of evil, God is still going to make things happen. His purposes will still be fulfilled and accomplished. Some other thoughts when it came to the story was this. If the change was not sense but bills, maybe the attitude would be different from the husband. But then again, are there people who would really forget dollar bills? Maybe, maybe not. But you can never count these possibilities out. The second way the Lord blessed me was through the kindness and generosity of the customers I serviced last week. I've received some really nice tips. I provided some great customer service. And in return, the customers showed their gratitude with additional dollars. They were favorable tips, and I'm thankful to God for his favor over my life through the customers that I served. Now, here's a bonus blessing that I will highlight and recognize. Excuse me. <coughs> so my mom turned 53 on Friday. With her health challenges, she being alive and living to see another year is truly amazing for me as her son. And I've seen everything that she's gone through. I also want to speak for my brothers as well. I believe we all are thankful and appreciative to see that she's made it to 53 years old. She's been instrumental and a high influence on the man that you see before you today. And for that, I am glad, truly appreciative and thankful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, before we dive into the word, of course, first and foremost, we need to begin with prayer. So do that in a second. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to be begin with an appreciative thanksgiving to you. I thank you for your love, life, and light. Your love because it's unconditional without measure. Your life because it's the example that I model my life after and we all should. Your light because it's one aspect of the darkness. And that darkness couldn't comprehend it. 
it makes a way for a believer and it directs us where to go by ordering our steps as well. As we go to your word today, Lord, bless us, encourage us, inspire us, educate us, strengthen us, direct us, guide us, lead us into all truth. We trust in you and you alone. Also, Lord, just want to thank you for giving me the strength, the voice, the confidence to produce another episode. I appreciate the fact that it is a privilege and an honor to get here and talk about your word each and every week and share with what I believe you have placed on my heart in regards to what I have learned, studied in the time that I have in my personal study. I appreciate times like this to share with my audience because it's due that I could be a blessing to somebody else. And there's also an opportunity where I can share what's been on my heart and the time that I've had and my devotion and commitment to you, Lord. I don't take these moments for granted. It's because in these moments, my relationship grows and strengthens with you. And I pray that this podcast can be used as something that can help others as well start their own individual devotion and commitment to you and also your own thoughts and curiosities as it relates to you as well so lord i say these things in confidence in who you are knowing that you're alpha and omega beginning the end the creator of all things and all those who are in agreement with this can say amen So as I was preparing for this week's episode, I honestly fell in love with this text. The reason is because it's a passage that made me think critically. It's a passage that made me reevaluate how I saw things. It's a passage that became a blessing to me. I hope after I break this down for you that maybe it will be a blessing to you as much as it was for me. Now, the passage is Matthew 8, or Matthew 9, excuse me. So we're going to be continuing continuing with the Gospel of Matthew series. And we're going to start at chapter 9. And we're going to go from verse 9 to 13. So it's Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 13. English Standard Version is the translation we'll be looking at. <coughs> so as Jesus passed on from... As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed them. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician but those who are sick go and learn what this means i desire my mercy not sacrifice for i came not to call the righteous but sinners so the first thing that seemed concerning and therefore was alarming was who sat with jesus at the table the text details that you have matthew many tax collectors and sinners 
interesting combination and a very unlikely combination as well. Here's why. Jesus has built himself to a certain stature. These men who sat with Jesus were labeled based upon their worst actions. So these religious leaders who are connected or concerned about appearances, such as being sat in high places of honor, if their image is tainted in any way, it's an issue to them. So it's considered foolish to compromise one's rep reputation because of the company that you keep. Now the Pharisees saw this and decided to ask a question in order to understand what was going on. They asked, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? And I feel, and I believe they asked this because from their point of view, it made no sense. Remember, it's about reputation for them. It's about association for them. Okay. I believe you also have to remember this. You have to put yourself in their shoes to understand how they see the world and what does it and what doesn't seem correct and, and challenge the status quo, right? Based on what they are familiarized with traditionally and what they practice and what they see Jesus is doing is unheard of. It's unprecedented. Which is why they're mumbling and saying the things that they're saying in regards in response to what they see Jesus doing. Now, the way that Jesus answers the question comes off to me as very straightforward. He says, well, those who are in a good place in terms of their health don't need a doctor or a physician. If you're sick, then you're not in a good place. Therefore, you are in need of a doctor or physician. So the answer that he gave was very simple, easy to understand. What he does next is makes a suggestion. That suggestion is he wants them to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Interesting statement. Now, there's a passage that uses this phrase. Is in the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. For context, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 6, okay? And to keep it simple, I'll read it in the NIV. Excuse me. <coughs> Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains, that the water, that water the earth. What can I do with you, Echamon? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I kill you with the words of my mouth. Then you judgments. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. 
So this passage in context is very similar as it relates to what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. God desires to show us compassion, especially for those who are in distress. And God does not need the sacrifice of animals. To truly understand this, you have to go back to Genesis to see what God did in response to Adam and Eve's disobedience. Where he, he gave them a proper covering in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. Where an innocent animal was sacrificed for their covering after they sinned, right? The sacrifice was not for God. Instead, it was for the need to address their sin, right? Remember, Adam and Eve had a covering, right? It was a self-made, self-proclaimed righteousness and covering that they did in response and concern and worry of what they had did in the garden in response to God's appearance, right? And questioning where they are, right? <clears throat> now, that covering is a God's covering, which is a huge difference between self-proclaimed, self-righteous covering and God's covering. Traditionally, you have practices of sacrifice animals for the atonement for the atonement of sins based on the book in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that tell you details about all this stuff, right? Up until Jesus comes, who eventually becomes the sacrificial lamb, and therefore we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore because now Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. Who be who do his mission for our benefit, he then with intention and with clarity becomes ultimately our rest, right? Now, Jesus made a statement. He said, I have not come to help those who are self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed, self-righteousness, but instead those who acknowledge that they have sinned and know that it's wrong in the sight of God and want to repent of their sins actively with the desire to seek forgiveness and a fresh start. This is who Jesus came for. So here's a practical example, right? A doctor or a dentist or a therapist are only interested in seeing patients that want help and need care and are not well. If you don't have any of these issues, they're not interested in seeing you in a place of business. They're losing money every minute. You're wasting their time. They are only thinking about how someone else who needs them could be in your place right now. now I want to dive deep for a different angle. Jesus was being judged by his affiliations, specifically Matthew, a tax collector, and other tax collectors and sinners to be exact, was garnered this question. Can a saved person be associated or acquainted with an unsafe person? Can a saved person be associated and acquainted or, or, or acquainted with an unsafe person? So there's two answers to this question. Yes and no. Both answers have biblical support, and I'll tell you which one I will lean more with. But before we go any further, I'm here to tell you that you cannot go wrong with either answer. 
But here on the Truth of the Matter is podcast, we believe in critical thinking. We also believe in making suggestions so you can consider things. At the end of the day, the choice is yours to make. So let's answer this with a note first. Can a saved person be associated and acquainted with an unsaved person? No. The response is safe, careful, and some people don't mind living in this place. Because it doesn't put you at risk. Right? It doesn't put you at risk. The verse that many will lead on in support of this point of view is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. I read it in the English Standard Version. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness. So I did some digging. And the word yoke in the Greek is zagos. Z-U-G-A-S. Z-U-G-A-S. And it means to be in burden. Or bondage. There's also the meaning of servitude. It means to be in burden. Or bondage. And it's also the meaning of servitude. Now, when I thought about the meaning of yoke and how it was used, Jesus said it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 this way. And I want to look at it in the Amplified Version quickly. It says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened by religious rituals that provide no peace, and I will give you rest, refreshing your souls with salvation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me following me as my disciples for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest renewal blessed quiet for your souls so the reason why i appreciate the amplified version here is because it highlights the stress people were under and in fact are still under when it comes to religious practices what jesus is saying here is you have people who swear by his effectiveness and yet there's no peace as it relates to those who practice these things. Then Jesus says, I will provide you the rest you so desperately need. Again, this supports the argument of what, of not needing a physical Sabbath when our rest is in Jesus Christ, not a celebration of a holiday, but that's a conversation for another day. Doesn't mean that you can't honor and respect the Sabbath, but is so much of an extensive explanation in regards to the value of placing it in Jesus, right? And there's other passages that support that. Not saying that if you want to follow the Sabbath and you honor the Sabbath, it's a bad thing. It's just a different perspective on things, okay? The verse we need to look at is verse 29. Take my guilt upon you and learn from me. Following me as my disciple, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is important because when I look at the term yoke in the Old Testament, there are two books I saw it in, and that's in the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy. So let's go to both of these passages. <coughs> Excuse me. Numbers chapter 19 verse 2 says, This is a requirement of the law, that the Lord has commanded tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish and that has never been under a yoke 
Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 3. And the elders of the city, that is the nearest to the slain man, shall take a hepter that has never been worked and that has not pulled a yoke. So based upon these passages, a yoke was a harness used by oxen and other animals to ease the work of hauling a load. Based on those two passages, the hefter that they selected were not supposed to be ones that carried a yoke. Interesting. It's also meant as a designation of servitude, carrying a burden of a task or mission. So, when I hear Jesus say, take my yoke upon you, I'm looking at it through the lens of being a follower of him. And as a follower of him, Jesus said a few things. If you go to Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. So this verse is letting you know that you're not alone. The path you can now choose has and was walked by God himself. So he's aware of what's down in. And he does, and what God does that makes him an amazing leader and guide is that he warns you of what to expect. He prepares you through his word. He informs you so that nothing comes as a surprise to you. He's telling you these things so that you can know what to expect when you make a similar decision in honor of him. He's not just telling you to do these things and not letting you know what's down the road. And to me, that is what a true leader does. He doesn't keep you in the dark. He doesn't withhold information from you. He lets you know. Now, there are other pieces of information that are withheld for the betterment of you because you don't need to know everything. But he tells you enough to keep guard. He tells you enough to be mindful. And to me, that's good enough for me. Jesus also said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus never said that living the Christian difference would be easy, which is why he died for you and I and paid the price for us. What Jesus has a willingness to do is teach you his ways, offer you discipleship, and finally the most important thing when it comes to growth development and progress is patience jesus says he's humble in heart which means who else knows the heart better than god himself so he knows the struggles the pain every emotion you might be feeling he knows and therefore he provides mercy and grace to your predicament and your situation When you go back and you look at what he's saying, honestly, that I found to be amazing about a yoke is when it talks about him carrying a yoke. It talks about him sharing a load with you. Sharing a load with you. You're not here alone. You're not by yourself. Actually, as believers, we're all here to motivate, encourage, inspire one another. In the book of Romans, it says, let us be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. Which means we're all carrying our cross, not the physical cross, but we're carrying our cross and our burdens 
And this is where you need community. You can't grow in isolation, but community. And community where we all believe and are doing the same things. That means we can give one another comfort. And the love of God is in it. Why? Because it's very clear where Jesus tells us in John 13, 34 to 35, that we, they would know you are my disciples based upon how you love one another. And loving one another is carries others' burdens. And being there for one another. And being able to support, to encourage, to pour into that person who needs it. We all need someone to pour into us. We all need it. Now, this brings me back to address the version that most people will use to support their reasoning for not being associated or acquainted with an unsafe person. Can you potentially be burdened or bondage by an unbelieving or unbeliever feeling the need to be in servitude to them? The answer is absolutely. The issue is ideally when you're in Christ, you're selfless. Living not to serve yourself, but others. However, the person who is not in Christ most likely cares only about themselves and will be selfish when the opportunity presents itself. They don't necessarily love others. Their heart is not transformed and therefore responsive. When you're in Christ, you walk by the Spirit, right? Galatians 5 verses 22-26 says, By the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying others. So a lot of these behaviors has been crucified. Not saying you won't stumble or maybe practice one of these things. But you can get that out of control because you understand the detrimental effect that it can have if, in fact, you continue to walk down that path. And because of the Holy Spirit, he will assure you to remind you that these are things that are not things of God. When you're not in Christ, you let your flesh lead you and guide you. Galatians 5, 19-21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, fashions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this would not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're not led by the Spirit, then you're led by your own desires and intents. Verses 16 through 17 in Galatians 5 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So you're either going to be gratified in the desires of the flesh, which is associated with what you want, or you're going to be walking in the desire of the fruits of Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is not of your own, but what is guiding you into what is true and what is right. Right? And in that case, 
it's amazingly put where it says, For the flesh, verse 17, desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So, it's an acknowledgement that they're in contrary and opposite to one another. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do what you want. So, the reason why they're in conflict is because one's taking you down a certain path and one's taking you down another path. Which means they're never meant to be put together. They're never meant to be associated with one another. With one another. They're meant to be opposites of one another. Which means you're going down either way. I would say it's beautifully put in Luke and in Matthew where it talks about the narrow gate versus the broad gate. The narrow gate, very few find. The broad gate is wide and the road leads to destruction. Obviously, the narrow gate is hard. Very few find it. The wide gate is broad because the ideology centered around what you want to do and how you want to live your life is all supported by that. Why? It's long and broad. It's not narrow, which means all the different ideologies that are placed in the, within the world and what they suggest you ought to do falls in line with that way of thinking, right? The concept and the belief that all religions lead to heaven is on that broad road. The narrowness in terms of when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except to me is on the narrow road, which very few find. The acknowledgement the acknowledgement when it comes to Jesus being the only way is, of course, going to be narrow because most will reject it. Okay? So here are a few more supportive verses as it relates to this point of view. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33-34 through 34. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some... Who are ignorant of God. I say this. To your shame. Proverbs 27 17. As iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. So here's my conclusion. Of these last two verses. That I will talk about. Proverbs 27 17. It's true that I want to go. To the Bible. So, I want to use a hypothetical, right? Use a hypothetical here. It's true if I want to go to the Bible study. If I want to go to Bible study. Hypothetically, example, hypothetical example here. Of course, my friend wants to go to a party. Whatever is important to us in our lives will pull us in those directions. If it is Jesus, you go into the Bible study. If it's having a good time, letting loose, being a drunkard, experiencing life, I only have one life, so I want to experience it, then I will pull me in the direction of wanting to have a good time. I'm not saying that you can't have a good time, but in that environment with drugs, weed, alcohol, wine, anything can happen. Truth of the matter is, it's all about priorities. And in this case, you can't say there's an iron sharp and iron here. One person is looking to benefit their souls. Another person is looking to feed their flesh. 
which is why I completely understand that if you have two individuals that their hearts and minds is pulling them in one direction or in a specific direction, there's no way that that lifestyle is conducive to bringing the best out of you. Okay. First Corinthians 15, 33 through 34. The company you keep around you can influence you to do things you'll regret or benefit from later. A person who does not have a heart for Christ and curses like a sailor is not the best enforcement you should have. If you're not careful, many of the influences that they have can influence you in your flesh and have you cursing. That sort of spirit can encourage you and have you acting like someone else that isn't you. All these things are critical and important to remember and to understand. And therefore, I completely understand that if you don't want to be acquainted and associated with an unbeliever, because a believer and an unbeliever are walking down two paths certain intentions one is looking to experience eternal life and one is looking to have it here on earth and that means at any cost now i want to take a look at the other side and personally tell you that i support this side of the argument and i'll tell you why in a second can a saved person be associated and acquainted with an unsaved person my answer is yes my answer is yes so let's define associated and acquainted Associated simply means to be connected with each other. Now, this connection can be with anything. And the truth of the matter is, networking is the basis for life. Just because I'm associated with someone, it doesn't mean I co-sign everything that person does away from me. I also don't believe the only friendship you must have are with Christians. I do believe, I believe also blessings come from relationships with people that are of other faiths. And their ability to be a blessing to you is a significant play in how God can use you to do other things. When it comes to money, there are no religious attachments to money. Money is green. It's the same color regardless. And I do believe that relationships and things change and can change based upon what you're intending to do. The truth of the matter is that we live in a world where people believe in a lot of different things and that's their problem. Acquainted means to be in contact before but not in close relationship with or friendship to be in contact before but not in close friendship or relationship this is where i'll start my biblical argument for yes you can be associated and acquainted with an unbeliever unsaved person it begins with this truth my belief in christ must be a conviction not a preference i've mentioned this numerous times and it's 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 critical here for a lot of reasons a conviction is something you believe in no matter what 
regardless of the tension that you try to spark to change my mind i'm still convicted which means if i believe jesus died on the cross for my sins regardless of any torture or anything you try to do that's not going to change my mind because the truth is what it is and it's not going to change because you change the circumstances underneath me a preface is something that can change over time with the exposure of new information i'm not talking about in terms of making decisions based upon the times obviously your preference change because the times change and you have to get with the times in order to make logical and educational decisions when it comes to your faith that is something that's unwavering and just because somebody provides new information to challenge your faith we're always going to get that which is why the bible is the final authority and and should be in the believer's life regardless of any information outside information that's provided from a historical perspective and that's provided to poke holes in the belief and resurrection of our lord and savior jesus christ now this is very key <coughs> excuse me there are new converts and seasoned believers in order to wrap your head around the way i'm thinking there's something great that must be done as believers, as is associated with relationships and interactions. It's important whether we agree or not that relationships is also the network for life. When you are a seasoned believer in Christ, your belief would not be challenged or influenced because you know who you are in Christ. If you're a new convert, your opinion, your opinion can be swayed and influenced because you haven't fed your faith enough, right? So we, we, we read the word of God to strengthen our faith, which means every single thing that comes in and out, we challenge it. If you are a new convert, different ideologies that don't come from Christ but come from the world can come in. And until you make that word of God your compass, your guide to truth, your foundation, you will entertain other things that are not true. And you can get God. It happens all the time. People are swayed with experiences. People are swayed with things from a spiritual aspect. And for some reason, they don't give the value, the support, and the love for God's word the same. And what happens is, because of the experience and because of the feeling that you get, people are more persuaded from that perspective than it is about God. And the most important thing is we need both. So that you're not caught up in what you're hearing and what you're feeling and you're letting that guide you. Versus God's word, which is true, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you're a seasoned believer, you can't engage and you can't have interactions. Why? Because you're in a place where you will not be maliciously led or convinced outside of what you believe. When you are a new convert, you are vulnerable. You're vulnerable. 
And that's the reason why I understand that if that's the case, you have to be more careful and cautious with who you hang around with, which is why I said it's okay to not be associated or acquainted because of the reasons I gave earlier, especially if you're a new convert. Now, this is where things get deeper, at least from the perspective that if that how you can be associated and acquainted with an unsafe person. And I'm going to give you the explanations why. If you go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 14, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. So as believers, we have a responsibility to be Christ's ambassadors and representatives. By being associated or acquainted with people there are possibilities for them to be curious about the Jesus you serve. If you go to Matthew five sixteen, it says, Let your light shine before others so that they may good they may see the good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So when we go back to the definition of just acquainted, right? It's to know of that person but not be closely acquainted. Things can change. That can completely change. Why? Because of their curiosity. By what you do, how you say, the way you speak, the way you carry yourself. It leaves the door open for the possibility for conversation. We know from the Old Testament, God said, let the other nations be envious of you so that they may see how closely associated I am with you. Curiosity is what sparks people to change, to reflect, to do something different. And for you staying in the perfume and not completely removing yourself from contexts allows people to inquire about your faith. Always be prepared to give the reason for the hope you have, but do it gently and respectfully. These are opportunities to win souls. These are opportunities to lead people to Christ. These are opportunities to share your, your relationship with Christ. And that's what we're here to do. We live in a society where we are rich in information and yet poor in wisdom. And therefore, I don't think it was a mistake that Jesus made this statement in this prayer in Matthew. Uh, actually, I think it's John seventeen fifteen. It says, my prayer is not to take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. When we took a look at Matthew 5, verse 13, it says you are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Well, when we deal with salt, with food, is a preserve. It's, it preserves. It's a, it's a preservative, right? And as believers in this world, we are agents for Christ and of Christ, preserving what is good. The word salt in Hebrew means prudence. What do we do as believers? Well, we bring godly wisdom, godly discernment, godly judgment into the world as agents for the kingdom of God, the government of God. So by being associated and acquainted to people, that's what we provide. That's the insight that we give, the way we carry ourselves, who we are. You never know why God placed you there, 
But if you're living the Christian difference, these examples that you're providing to give close-up, visual, practical examples to people who are curious. See, the issue is there's so many different people that call themselves believers but don't live it. And when you have people that are closely knitted or associated and know who you believe and who you serve, they are paying close attention to you. And that example you're setting is shaping their worldview of what a believer is, which means every believer can't coincide one another because not every believer is living and doing the right thing. And as a result of that, that's what taints the whole. Right? If you go to the, the first John chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, it says, Anyone has a material possession and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So as believers, we need to be about our actions, not just our words. And as seasoned believers, remaining in the cut and the open gives people a chance to change. So a prime example, if I see someone in need and I'm a believer and I don't help them, the question is, how can I say the love of God is in, them, in me? If I'm around someone, we're not friends, but we know one another, and I provide an example of caring for that person, I'm exemplifying this verse. I'm living out this verse. I'm showing you that I'm not just saying that I love people or I love our brothers and sisters or I care for people. I'm providing an example. And when a person sees that example, it reflects on them and what they could do better. Not just living an example by wanting to be good to other people, but inquiring and understanding why is a start to a great conversation where people can be informed and educated. Last verse here, and I could go on for days, but the whole point that I'm trying to get you to understand is that you can be with or associated or acquainted to an unsafe person and their lifestyle and who they are can't impact you and you can still share some similarities and interests, sports, TV shows, movies, right? And then you want to also let them know that because they they don't believe in what you don't what what you don't believe, that you're not gonna throw them out, you're not gonna ignore them, you're not gonna pass them along, you just may not participate in things that they participate in, right? Go in places that compromise you. You're not gonna do that. Why? Because you understand the implications of that. You go to James chapter five verse nineteen through twenty. This is a good one. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from the death and cover over a multitude of sins. You don't know why God calls you into certain situations, but your influencement could cause them to reflect and reconsider things. If you completely remove yourself, how can God use you in those moments? With the people that are around you. Saved or unsaved. Saved because maybe people 
are not praying. Maybe some of your Christian friends are not seriously ser taking serious devotion. Maybe their prayer life needs to be strengthened. Maybe their commitment to reading scripture needs to be more regular. Maybe the unsaved person is thinking about things from their flesh and you need to give them the opportunity to reconsider the possibility that the way that they're thinking is not just selfish and personal. Maybe they need to have a better outlook on how they see the world. Remember, the theme of the year is to be a willing instrument for righteousness. And as a seasoned believer, we will become, we need to become much more intentional about how we live our lives. As seasoned believers, we are not products of our environment, but instead we know how to maneuver in our environment because we know who we are. And that won't ever change because we are convicted and rooted in our faith as Jesus followers. Okay. So my whole point in this is that if you're a new convert and you're concerned and worried about being tainted or influenced, don't be acquainted or associated with unsaved people. If, in fact, you are seasoned and you care about your friends and the people that you're associated with, may not be friends or maybe it's maybe people that you kind of know, you pray for them. <coughs> Excuse me. You pray for them. You talk with them ever so often. And if you continue to live the Christian difference and do the right things, they will inquire about it. They will inquire about you. If you live a quiet life, they will inquire about what you're doing. And that would be an opportunity for you to enlighten them of your relationship with Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And you could testify. And then what that will happen, what will happen is if they're interested because they've been watching you for such a long time and they know that you're reliable, right? We know the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So, people who are doing the right things, living the right ways, there are so many of us that are reliant on that. And God is also reliant on that because he uses those who are doing the right things on a regular basis because he trusts them. And I think we all should be striving to be instruments for God and consistent in the lives that we're living. That we're not just saying these things in the book of James and then doing something else. But that we're truly embodying what Christ has called us to be. New creatures living and operating in truth. And spreading and sharing his love. And letting his love in us shine based upon the things we do as a representative of him. With that said, devotional time. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 33 through 35, or 34 through 35. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, 
so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Part of loving others is looking out for them. You may not agree with everything they say, but the love of God, you have to trust and believe, will pursue that person all the days of their life. You might be one of the tools that God used to pursue them. Ultimately, the choice would be left up to them, just like it is for everyone. Keep in mind, love sometimes happens and should and will and possibly should be considered a distant play so that reflection and self-discovery can come into that play. I close out with this prayer. Father God, in Jesus' name, your ways are better than mine. Your thoughts are higher than mine. Therefore, however you plan to use me, I'm yours. I'm a willing instrument for the use, for your use, and whether I am around saved or unsaved individuals, my hope is to make you proud and to impact people because we all can use improvement in the right direction. All those in agreement, say this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.